Hello. Good morning. I'm Lori Campbell. I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Please stand for the word of the Lord. Everybody up? Okay, here we go. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we continue our overall series on adjusting our focus. The last um, three sermons, including this one, uh, are focusing or refocusing on truth. Um, Two weeks ago we talked about the first truth, and the first truth we engaged was that we have a problem. It's sin. Second truth we engaged is that there is a solution. That's grace. Today, the third truth we engage is the way in which truth itself can be transformative. So I, I begin with a, a variety of analogies, which I, I think if, if I'm understanding who's out there, somebody is going to catch every one of these because of where you are, where you live. If you're a musician, you understand what it is to be in the music, whether it's the rhythm or the note or like what just happened behind me with the choir. There was something about each member of that choir that they were losing themselves in the beat, in the music, and losing themselves in the other. They were just, shall we say, in the groove. They could feel it. You ever noticed how certain musicians move a lot? They're not just trying to put on an act. It's the music. They feel it. And they move with it. If you are inclined to athletics and sports like I am, you know that one of the great things about great athletes is they can find the groove One of the greatest athletes of all time as a football player was a man named Walter Payton. And they gave Walter Payton a nickname. They called him Sweetness. Why? Now, he was a running back, which means that he was running over people all the time, taking serious hits. What is sweet about that? The reason they called him sweetness is because he could run in such a way, it was almost like he was on a flawless, effortless track. He just moved, almost like a dance. He was in the groove. If you're a person who's into rhythm, you know there's a certain groove to the rhythm. Have you ever wondered why some people can juggle so well? It's not because they're ambidextrous, although they are. It's not because they're skilled with their hands, although they are. You you know what's behind it? 
they hear or feel a rhythm. A master juggler feels a rhythm that no one else really feels. And that's why it looks so effortless. Here's the point. As Christ followers, we've got a rhythm. We've got a tune. We have something within us that is different than the rest of the world. Or ought to be. To put it another way, we follow the beat of a different drummer. Peter seemed to understand this and admonished those who were listening to him in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, but you are a chosen people, chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now it's sounding really cool. <laughs> a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter, with those very few words, concisely tells us, you're different. You're an alien. You're odd. The King James says, a peculiar people. Let's make it even more crass. You're just weird, okay? If you're a Christ follower. Now, it's true that there are many times in which secular ethics or philosophy intersect with Christian ethics. And for that, we can rejoice. However, overall, overall, the world's values are different than those of Christ followers. And historically, this has created a lot of conflict in a lot of societies for 2,000 years. We shouldn't be surprised, should we, if we're aliens, if we're outsiders, if we're people traversing the earth in, in hopes of a, a different home, a different place, we shouldn't be surprised that our way of living, our ethic, is at odds with the world. We should accept it. We should step into it. We should be comfortable with it. One of the famous translators of Romans chapter 1, 12, 1 through 2, his name is J.B. Phillips. He was a person who paraphrased Scripture many, many years ago. He's since passed on. But he captured a phrase that seemed to express better than anybody else what this passage was essentially saying. He said, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We should not let the world squeeze us into its mold. But you know what? 
we should not expect the world to be squeezed into our mold because we're different. I, I break the sermon up with three words. How, what, and why. Not in that order. First, why? Why do we have the issue that I'm talking about? The problem with truth. It's very simple. We're different. We're odd. We're not normal. That's why we have trouble with the Christian way of living in the present world. That's the first point. Why? Because we're different. Second, if we're different and we feel the conflict as we ought to, the next question is how? That question is if in fact we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, if we know that we're different, if we're supposed to think differently, how in the world do we think differently? All of a sudden, by memorizing a particular passage of Scripture and then we got it? No, no, no. It is a lifelong process being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, brainwashing has a bad reputation for a good reason. Um, Often it's associated with manipulation. It's associated with abuse. And many times we think of brainwashing as being really involuntary. Somebody has forced it upon you or someone you love. But let's pull back just for a minute and remember this. The concept, if we set aside the, the bad reputation, the concept of brainwashing actually has some merit. If, in fact, you consider it the way you think of washing your hands. If you get dirt all over your hands and you wash them, that is a really good thing. If you have improper ways of thinking inside your mind, dirt, shall we say, it's a really good idea to wash it out. So it seems to me that the apostle is suggesting that we do a brainwash, that we actually are transformed by the renewing of your mind. So suppose for a moment, it won't be hard for you to imagine, that you have some improper thoughts in your mind that are actually destructive, destructive to you, Destructive to others, destructive to the Christian community, destructive to your world. Those are the thoughts that are in your mind. Now, suppose you had someone enter your life, shall we say enter your mind, who was a truth teller, a, a perfect truth teller, and he or she said to you, What we need to do is change your thoughts with the truth. I'm not trying to harm you. I just think you need to change your thoughts with the truth. Suppose the truth teller was absolutely trustworthy. 
you or I would be foolish to push him or her aside. No doubt. It'd be a good idea to adopt the truth teller's practices about new thoughts. I think that's what Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 are saying. You know, we know more about the mind than we ever have before. The brain itself and the way it functions. We realize that our mind, because of bad habits or bad thoughts, actually creates pathways in our brain. And it's like a rut. Boom, we go there. The idea of changing the way we think somehow has to do with not just changing the way we think, but changing our habits. Because habits contribute to the pathway in our brain. There's an interesting book called Atomic Habits by James Clear that considers the way in habits, how habits can change your thinking and actually change your mind. I'm actually not recommending the book. Um, there's a lot better books, but the, the, the central thesis of the book is a good one. And it's this, that you can change your habits and change your life. You replace your habits that are bad with good habits. You replace your thinking that is bad with good thinking. It's the principle that seems to be laid out right here in Romans 12, 1 and 2. If we replace old thoughts by the renewing of our minds, it will change us. So let me just read it one more time. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Since I didn't mark it, hang on a second. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, the God who loves you, the Son of God who died for you, the one who is absolutely trustworthy. In view of God's mercy, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern, pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The truth of God is primarily found in the word of God. So if you're looking for the truth teller, He's right here. If you're looking for the way to change your mind, it's right here. But it's not a static right here. It's not the black book I'm holding in my hands. It's the living word of God that's right here. That when we sincerely 
worship God properly, we begin to understand God's will. And when we understand God's will, we let our minds conform to the truth concerning his will. And we follow his will. And we are transformed. So if the question is why, the answer is we're different. If the question is how, the answer is this transformation takes a lifetime. If the question is what, what does it look like? Here's what it looks like. First, um, I'm just going to ask you to hang with me here a minute, okay? I'm just giving you a warning. Stick with me. It's not that complicated, but I'm going to geek out for a second, okay? On philosophy and ethics. In the history of Western society, there is, as most of you know, a thing called the Enlightenment. And one of the kings of Enlightenment is Immanuel Kant. And one of the things Immanuel Kant was trying to do, and did rather successfully, was to divorce classical theology and reason or reason and ethics, shall we say. In other words, you don't need classical theology, you don't need revelation to understand what is proper and good. You can put it on the side, and you can come to a consensus concerning what is the right thing. For those of you who know anything about Kant, you're right now thinking, yeah, the categorical imperative. That's what I'm talking about. Modern ethics, you see, um, had come to the conclusion and has come to the conclusion that in order to be an ethical human being, you try to identify behaviors that all right-thinking people can agree upon. That's how you get to the end game of ethics. All reasonable, right-thinking people could agree to this, right? So that's the starting point. And I think there's some value to that. I mean, for instance, one thing that I, when I I used to teach philosophy some, one of the things I never found a lack of consensus on was this statement. It is wrong to kill people for fun. Never once did I have a student say, I disagree. First of all, they would have been (laughs) ignored from then on. (laughs) But most people somehow deep within them realize that's just true, right? And so far, so good. But the classical approach to ethics also has included, at least in the past, A basic premise has been, if we know who we are, if we know our telos, that's just a Greek word that means end, or shall we say purpose, right? If we know who we are that way, if we know who we are, then we have a good idea of how we ought to act. 
think, think about 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are who? A royal priesthood. You are who? Chosen. You are who? Peculiar. Outsiders. People dearly loved by God. If we understand our telos, we'll understand how we ought to act. One more very slow comment that is, I believe, to be a profound theological concept that comes from Karl Barth. Karl Barth, understanding and being a child of the Enlightenment, theologically, philosophically, also was, shall we say, a rebel against it. Karl Barth modifies the classical understanding of ethics and places it in the context of Jesus Christ. Embracing the idea of a telos, an end, a purpose, he embraces it. And then he says, listen to this, it's just fascinating. Then he says, I'm not quoting him, I'm summarizing it. He says that Jesus' human nature, fully God and fully man, right? Jesus' human nature finds its telos, its end, its deepest meaning, its greatest purpose. Jesus' human nature finds its telos in his divine mission as son of God. So what does that mean? What it means is that Jesus, by his obedience to the Father, shows us the way. Jesus shows us what it means to be truly human by being obedient to God the Father. There you are, my friends. You want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? You've got to be different. Karl Barth called Christian ethics the great disturbance. He said it threw everything else up in the air. The telos was redefined. It was about Jesus Christ, and that was the only way. The truth about ourselves and God is disturbingly unique in our world. Okay, now I'm done geeking out, so you can take a breath. And I'm only going to make two points. What does that look like? Just two things. Much more, but just here. First truth concerning the reality of our human existence as Christ followers. Here is the first truth. We are not our own. We don't own our bodies. 
Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. End of statement. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 19, and I did it again. I did mark my passage. Well, it gives you time to get there, right? 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know? By the way, he's talking about, in this context, human sexuality. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. It's called redemption. Sometimes what we call being saved. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Our bodies are not our own. The second part of us not being our own, our wealth is not our own. We are supposed to be good stewards with the wealth that we have been gifted with from God. Can you think of anything more fundamentally different than our world than that statement? We all think about our wealth as our own. And then on occasion we think of charity. But we don't think about our wealth as not being ours. And that's what God says. It's not even yours. I gave it to you so you could do something with it that has nothing to do with yourself. Go look at the teachings of Jesus. And you cannot avoid that. If you are avoiding it, you're not reading it properly. Our bodies are not our own. Our wealth is not our own. Our time is not our own. You you know the phrase me time. I get it. I like to have me time too. I don't mean to denigrate little sayings like that and get us all off track. But the reality is my time is not my own. My time should be devoted to the God who gave it to me. Time itself is sacred, and it ought to be handled as such. Our talents are not our own. Our personal giftedness is not our own. It's to be used in service to God and to others. Oh, we, we're, we're, oh we, we're, we're here in a really good place for this last point. Our intellect is not our own. All the powers of our mind, they're not our own. 
The powers of our mind ought to be used, first of all, for the purposes of God's kingdom. Second of all, the powers of our mind should be used as an act of worship. Present all of yourself as an act of worship. Put it all on the altar, including your intellect, and ask how God wants to use it. So the first point of what does it look like is that we are not our own. A fundamental truth that is completely contrary to the way most of the world thinks. The second fundamental truth that seems to be completely contrary to at least modern ethics is this. Ethics for the Christian means that we're called to obey. Obey. Not choose what we like. Not try to define on our own what is correct, but to obey. I want you to give yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, completely obedient to God. And this call to obedience can seem difficult for one fundamental reason. Because we're self-willed, self-centered, turned inward people. We don't want to obey. We want it our way. But here's an ironic truth that comes straight from the teachings of Jesus. When you turn away from self and turn towards God, you actually find your Tell us your true end, your real purpose. To use the exact words of Jesus, if you want to find yourself, you must lose yourself in me. The, the whole topic that we're talking about here, just the notion of truth, requires multiple volumes. There's so much more to be said. And I'm sure if I wrote it, I'd get it wrong. But without being arrogant, this small portion, I don't think I have it wrong. I think it's communicated specifically in the Word of God. So the final point, which is the conclusion, is this. If we believe that we ought to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, we ought also to realize it just doesn't happen automatically. We, we don't just come to church and by osmosis change. We don't just fill in the blank. It's a process. And part of the process, it seems to me, is the pursuit of transformation. Just like we pursue anything else. In order to pursue the truth and be transformed by the truth, we first have to accept the truth. 
Just those two cardinal truths right there were not our own. We're called to obey. We have to accept it if we're going to be transformed at all. You can't just study the truth and be transformed by it. The truth can't just sit over there on a shelf and transform you. The truth has to be in you. And you have to be passionate about following the truth. In other words, you have to pursue the transformation. You've got to accept the truth and then pursue it. Second point about the pursuit of transformation It seems to me, and there could be so many other ways, I understand that. So don't ridicule my simplicity, but the primary two essential ways of discerning the truth and being transformed, the essential starting point is the word of God and prayer. Not the word of God till you read and try to understand the words and dissect it and diagram it and look at commentaries, all of which are good, but reading the word of God in a prayerful way. Lord, conform my heart to your will. Lord, transform me with the truth of your word. Even reading scripture is a prayer if we're approaching it properly. So the pursuit of transformation first looks like we must accept the truth. Second, we have to have the essential starting point, which I believe to be Scripture and prayer. And the third, this one is just an open-ended question for all of us. It seems like to me, if we want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, we constantly need to be saying as we think about life as we make decisions is this the way of Jesus and before you go to where I go which is how do I know what's right emphasize the question instead of the answer. Or put it another way, how often in our daily life do we ask the question, is this the way of Jesus? Or do we just forge ahead and do it and try to get it right without ever pausing to ask the question, is this the way of Jesus? It's okay that you don't have a hard and fast answer. But it's not okay if you're a Christ follower, if you don't ask the question. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We admit several things concerning your truth. We don't always understand it. In its fullness, we never understand it. We also admit something else about your truth, that it, um, it's uncomfortable. We often just don't like it because we want something else. And we also know, Lord, that your truth puts us in an uncomfortable situation in our society. We march to the beat of a different drummer 
We hear different music. We follow a different master. And sometimes it creates conflict. So we pray, Lord, as we ask the question, is this the way of Jesus? You will give us understanding concerning what is the right way to do something, but also give us understanding to know the right way to be in the midst of scorn or persecution or conflict. Help us find our ethic in the way of Jesus and to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we'll thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen.